Hey guys, Pastor Jurgen here. I'm so glad you're tuning into one of our powerful messages that is guaranteed to absolutely elevate your life to another level. At Awaken, we only want to preach fresh, real, powerful to help you grow stronger in your walk with God, develop your faith so you can take more territory. I'm praying that God blesses you and enriches your soul as you listen to this amazing Word from God. God bless you. We're in a new series now. It's called Save Our City. And it can, it can feel like a lofty goal, can't it? Like, wow, tell them they're dreaming. Like, save a whole city. Uh, but, you know, I was reading through the Bible and I was asking the Lord, God, show me, like, give me, give me an illustration, an example of where you did this. And I was reading in my Bible and I came across the story of, and you'll all know it, the story of Jonah and Nineveh. Do you know that an entire city was saved? Everything from the men, the women, the children, even down to the cows, even the livestock. And as an animal lover, that does my heart good. Even the livestock, the Bible says, put on sackcloth and ashes. And the, the whole city repented. And we're not just talking about any old city. We're talking about Nineveh, famous for its violence. They were known as people who would skin their enemies alive and then put them on spikes as a testimony to all their other enemies. This is what we're going to do to you too. So they were very ruthless people, very ruthless people, and they hated God's kids. So one of the greatest enemies of that time for God's children was the Ninevites. It was, they were the Assyrians. They were always getting up to no good. They were terrorizing and traumatizing God's people. And yet this entire nation of bloodthirsty, anti-Christian, they worshipped a female deity. The future is female, started in Nineveh, right? So this entire city was completely reformed and they all, all gave their hearts to the Lord. And I love this story as I was reading through the book of Jonah and I would really encourage you to do it because it's only four chapters long. You can read the whole thing in eight minutes. I mean, even people with ADD can do that. <laughs> even the lazy. Like, if you're lazy, Jonah is the book for you. But I'm telling you, I, I have not been able to, to leave this story because there's so, such depth and insight, and I really feel it's a prophetic word for our times and more importantly for our church. And what I love about God and with a lot of the stories of the prophets in the Bible is that, that God can talk to everybody and then somebody all at the same time. So we can come to a, an, an entire city and, and bring revival to an entire city, but then all, also make it about the individual. And, and this, is, this is the way God works. Yes, he's, he wants us to save a city, but a city is made up of ones that he loves and he sees individually and uniquely. So I, I'm going gonna, I'm gonna to ask a question. Hopefully at the end I'm going to answer it and then we're going to pray for some people. But the title of my message this evening, Beautiful Salt Lake City Peeps, is how do we save a city? It is a good question. Jonah chapter 1, and he's kind of nestled in between a couple of prophets. Jonah chapter 1, starting at verse 1, I'm going to just... Get in there and start reading the story. We'll open it up. It's a famous, iconic tale, Jonah and the whale. The Lord gave this message to Jonah, son of Amittai. Now, Amittai means truth. So Jonah is the son of truth. Get up and go to the great city of Nineveh and announce my judgment against it. Uh-oh. Because I have seen how wicked its people are. But, somebody say but. Jonah got up and went in the opposite direction to get away from the Lord. How many people have ever been there? All right, that was a partial, that was a half-lie response. <laughs> he went down to the port of Joppa. So, I mean, he, he's not having none of it. Where he found a ship leaving for Tarshish. Now, this is God's man, by the way. This guy is a prophet. Let's just call him a Christian and a believer. And God has given him an assignment and he's going 2,500 miles in the opposite direction. Have any of you ever stopped and paid attention to the fact that usually it takes a lot more effort to disobey God than it does to obey Him? 
Nineveh was 500 odd miles away. Tarshish was 2,500 miles away. He bought a ticket and went on board. And trust me, you will always have to pay when you disobey. Hoping to escape from the Lord by sailing to Tarshish. But, somebody say but. but. I love it. So the Lord hurled a powerful wind over the sea, causing a violent storm that threatened to break the ship apart. All right, I love it. We can run, but we cannot hide, my friends. How many of you have noticed, because God is asking Jonah to do something, quite simply, he doesn't want to do? How many of you have noticed that when God comes to you, when he really comes to you and gives you a word, it's usually something you don't want to do? Uh, Usually. I have never had God come to me and say, Leanne, I want you to go to the mall and buy stuff. (laughs) Roger that, Lord. I'll take one for the team. Send me, I will go. Like he's never, he's never said that. Ever. When you think about the heroes in the Bible that obeyed God, I can't imagine it was their best day ever. Shadrach, Meshach and Abednego. I don't think they were pumped about going into a fiery furnace. I don't think Daniel was out of his mind with joy and glee at having to be put in a lion's den. But let me tell you, disobedience, you will always pay far more than you ever have to pay by being obedient. And so God God creates this storm. And there are a couple of storms we may experience in the Bible. One is just the storm of life. They come to all of us. One is the storm uh, from, sent from the devil. That's like the one that Paul experienced in the book of Acts. And this storm here was a storm of disobedience. But what I love about this story is that God is so good to his kids because he won't let us disobey easy. He doesn't, isn't like, oh, well, you're just in my permissive will. I think sometimes we've so made the Bible and God woke and beta that we think that God is a gentleman in the wrong sense of the word. God is a gentleman, yes, but he's also the lion of the tribe of Judah and he knows how to seek out and get back what belongs to him. So he, he, he creates this storm to get to get Jonah back. And I would say to you, actually, if you're in disobedience and there isn't a storm, you have to ask yourself, is God really my dad? Because the Bible says the Lord chastens those whom he loves. He chastens his his son. So this, this storm is happening because there's a level of disobedience in his life. And that's where the story picks up. So in Jonah chapter 1, verse 5, he's he's jumped on the ship. I mean, he's going in the opposite direction. He's not honoring God. The Bible says in Jonah 1, starting at verse 5, fearing for their lives, these are the sailors who are now caught up in the storm. Now, isn't that true? Our disobedience doesn't often just affect us. It usually always affects other people, usually innocents that are connected to us. Can somebody say a very sobering amen? Fearing for their lives, the desperate sailors shouted to their gods for help and threw the cargo overboard to lighten the ship because this was a terrifying storm. But all this time, Jonah was so numb to his own disobedience, I'm adding stuff for effect, he was sound asleep down in the hold. So the captain went down after him. How can you sleep at a time like this, he shouted. Get up and pray to your God. Maybe he will pay attention to us and spare our lives. Isn't it interesting that it's in a crisis time that even unbelievers are open to God, to prayer? We should take a note of that. Then the crew cast lots to see which of them had offended the gods and caused the terrible storm. When they did this, the lots identified Jonah as the culprit. Why has this awful storm come down on us, they demanded. Who are you? What is your line of work? What country are you from and what is your nationality? A lot of questions we are not allowed to ask people in woke America right now. They're asking them. Jonah answered, I'm a Hebrew and I worship the Lord, sometimes the God of heaven, who made the sea and the land. The sailors were terrified when they heard this, for he had already told them he was running away from the Lord. Why did you do it? They groaned. 
And since the storm was getting worse all the time, they asked him, what should we do to you to stop the storm? Throw me into the sea, Jonah said, and it will become calm again. I know that this terrible storm is all my fault. Point number one, take responsibility for the storm. So here's what happened. I'm gonna, I'm gonna traverse from all of us to the individual a little bit throughout this message. So America, and really the world, but, but I'm an American, so I'm gonna talk about America. America during 2020, we awakened to a storm because of our disobedience. And I'm talking about the church. So two generations, unfortunately, got neglectful and disobedient at the point of discipleship. And they got lazy at the point of fighting to keep the things that our founding fathers fought for us to have. And they thought they could just nestle in and ride on the wave that the generations before had purchased, that they didn't need to fight. And so in 1960-odd, they took prayer out of schools. And then in the late 1960s, abortion became a federal law because of the laziness, the neglect, and the disobedience of Christians. And we awakened in 2020, wiped the sleep from our eyes, and we're looking around, and we're like, why is everybody transgender? Why is everybody so confused? Why, why do the men think they're women? Why is there so much fear and so little faith? Why is there so much weakness and so little strength? Why do we all of a sudden, we're fighting fights in California, and trust me, you're, you're maybe in Utah, one generation, you, you had a generation that fought a little bit longer, but. But you will be where we are unless you awaken and start to take responsibility for the storm. There's a storm in our land and it takes the messengers of God to stand up and say, it is enough now. We're going to take responsibility for the storm. Well, I didn't do it. Or it's my grandpappy and my great-grandpappy. Well, instead of kicking the can down the road, another generation, let's go, it may not have been my fault, but I'm gonna make it my responsibility. I'm gonna take one's responsibility for the storm. And they said to him, I mean, I mean this story will preach forever. Because they say to him, who are you? And, and what God do you worship? And he has the audacity to say to them, I worship the God who made the sea. They're about to be killed by the sea. And the man who worships the God of the sea is asleep in the bottom of their boat. He has the answers to their dilemma and their problem and he's freaking sleeping. Now, isn't that the, a question for the world today? We've got a world looking at us going, there's a storm. And they ask us, who are you? What's your name? Where are you from? What God do you serve? Oh, I serve the Lord God who actually has the answers, but we're not helping. It it really is a a great neglect when a believer who has been equipped with the greatest resource. And, and here, let, let me be very honest with you. I don't think most of us disengage because we don't care about people. It's just we don't know the answers. We don't read the Bible, so when somebody comes to us with the hard questions, we don't know the answer to it because this kind of sits on the shelf and it's collecting dust and we don't know the power that lay within. The time for being Christians who aren't in the Word is over. There is a storm that the Church of Jesus Christ needs to take responsibility for. Take responsibility for the storm. Can I dial it in just a little bit? Can I dial the microscope in and put it on us for a second? So last time I was in Auckland, back when they would let people like me in, I heard a story about Japanese fishermen who, there was like this this epidemic of Japanese fishermen who were fishing a particular fish that was very sought after in Japan. They would come to New Zealand's waters, they would dock in Auckland, and they would catch their fish. But the the emergency rooms in Auckland noticed an, an absolute epidemic of Japanese fishermen coming in with stab wounds. And so they sent out social services to figure out why are so many Japanese fishermen 
staggering into our ER, bleeding. And so here's what they found out, that in the times the fish weren't biting or the fishermen got lazy, they spent their time drinking and fighting. When they weren't doing their job, they ended up drinking too much and fighting. Isn't that a word for the church? When we aren't doing our job, we end up drinking too much and fighting. If you want to know if you're headed to Nineveh where you're meant to be carrying the message of God or heading to Tarshish, I would say to you today, are you drinking too much and involved in several fights? It's a pretty easy litmus test. Life isn't complicated really. Take responsibility for the storm. But God is so beautiful. And I think we just see the mercy of God all through this story. And, and somebody who doesn't really ha have or understand or has captured the true heart of God would see the storm as God's judgment on Jonah. And then the fish that swallowed him as God's judgment. But, but neither of those are true. They were actually part of the rescue plan. So if you're walking through a storm of disobedience right now, just see it as a mark for, for the love of God. Pay attention. Get on your way to Nineveh. Do what the Lord's saying. But see it as a signature of God loves you. And, and he loves you so much he will pursue you. He will... He will Take the time to create a storm. He will prepare a fish. The Bible says he prepared a fish. He's the God of the animal kingdom. And then when Jonah throws himself overboard in the worst suicide attempt ever and falls into the ocean, he thinks, I'm out of it. I don't have to go to Nineveh. I didn't want to go anyway. I'd rather die. And if you read the story, Jonah's always asking God if he can just die. What a drama queen. But God keeps rescuing him because there was an assignment on his life. And there is an assignment on your life. So God will send rescue mission after rescue mission after rescue mission as long as there is breath in your lungs. Because the Bible says in Psalm 139, where can I flee from your spirit? Where can I go for your presence? I can't go anywhere. If I ascend into heaven, you're there. If I make my bed in hell, you're even there. You can't escape God. And so this is what Jonah finds. And then he's in the bed. It's the worst time out ever. It was a forced altar call. In a, in a very, like, constricted and smelly an uncomfortable environment, God put him in a timeout. And it's in that timeout where he felt like he couldn't move and every way he looked, he was assaulted with something offensive that he finally got the wherewithal to go, you know what, I need to repent and turn back to God. And so at his prayer of repentance, which you will find in the book of Jonah chapter number two, the Bible says that the Lord commands the fish to vomit him up, kind of like a little bit of a symbol of where Jonah was at. You know how it says in Revelation, if you're lukewarm, I'm going to vomit you out of my mouth. Because nothing God does is for accident. So he vomits him up on the shore. And then here's where we get to the next part. You ready? You hanging in there? All right, good. How many people are going to read the book of Jonah? Awesome. And then we see this in Jonah chapter 3, verse 1. Then the Lord spoke to Jonah a second time. And somebody needs to hear that today. He is the God of second chances and even third chances. And God will keep coming after you as long as there is breath in your lungs. Get up. The assignment has not changed. I haven't changed my mind. I haven't let you off the, the hook. Get up and go to the great city of Nineveh and deliver the message that I have given you. This time, thank God, Jonah obeyed the Lord's command and went to Nineveh, a city so large that it took three days to see it all. And this is, this is not without reason. So it wasn't just Jonah, go to Nineveh and write a letter and then, then kind of scurry into the courts of the king in the dead of night because it's scary and they could skin you alive and like put it under his door and then run and just jump back in the fish's mouth and I'll take you back to where you're from. He, he didn't do that. He said, I want you to go and I want you to walk and I want to, you to give this message in person. God doesn't just send a message. He always sends a messenger. Always sends a messenger. 
If you think back, of course, to when Jesus came to earth on the greatest rescue mission, he, God didn't send an angel to just bring, a, you know, a, a, an announcement or a message. He sent a messenger. The Bible tells us in the book of John that the word Jesus became flesh and dwelt among us, moved into the neighborhood. Point number two is go where the people are. God, God made it so Jonah had to walk into Nineveh for at least an, a day and a half's travel because he wanted them, him, to see them where you live, where you experience. I want to like taste the food you taste. I want to feel the culture of your city. I want to understand who you are. I want to understand your weaknesses, your, your strengths. I, I want to look in your eyes. I don't want to just give a message. I want to send a messenger who has a level of understanding. Why did Pastor Matt and Loren move from San Diego in obedience to the Lord? Because God doesn't send a message. He sends messengers who have an understanding. That's why we're not, hey, we're beaming you in from San Diego. We're not beaming you in. We're, we're sending people. So they, they can hold in their hand the, the terra firma, the, the soil, and understand the culture, understand the way things work here, understand the particular plights and issues of the people, their strengths and their weaknesses. So there was a heart knit. Go where the people are. One of, one of the, the worst things that the pandemic did was it, it tried to make us a people who were isolated. And... And whether this was their intent or not, although I personally believe it was their intent, it, it, what, what they were wanting to do was create a division between us, men and women, brother, brother against brother, sister against sister, like people. We, they wanted to separate us from one another. And in order to do that, we would lose a level of compassion and understanding for each other. And we would just see each other as like a human form with a mask on. That, that's what they wanted. We want to make you not human. The, the worst person to deliver a message is someone who does not love or have any understanding of the people to whom they are sending the message to. And so you'll find at, at Awakened Church, we are, we are all about community. And, and it's a community that's meant to work here, first and foremost. But it's also a community that's meant to work out in the world. And we've got to make sure... We've got to make sure that we don't misrepresent the words of the Lord when he says, I want you to be separate. He meant, I want you to be separate from sin. I want you to be separate from the lifestyles that have the world in bondage but I want you to be in the world and not of it. And Jesus even said, I, I do not pray that you take them out of the world, but that you would protect them from the evil one. You don't need to be protected from the world. You just need to be protected from the evil one because the world is our mission field. And that's why God wouldn't let Jonah just rock up with a telegram. But instead he wanted him to look them in the eyes. They are real people, flesh and Blood people with a story, with a background. There's a reason they are the way they are. I want you to see it, Jonah. This isn't about just sending down a lightning bolt of God's judgment. I want you to see them. And there's a world out there that needs to be seen. And it's then that our message will have the greatest impact. You know, Jürgen and I, like San Diego and now Salt Lake City, are our village. We've, we've already got several people that we're like mates with where we live, up in uh, wherever we live. I don't know where we live, somewhere. No, Forest Ranch. Where do we live here? Park City. We live in Park City, yeah. <laughs> somewhere around there. I forget all the names. Heba, Wasatch Springs. Yeah, yeah, okay, yeah. And we've already got like, I mean, it's amazing. You know, we've got friends at the coffee shop, friends at the restaurants. Yeah, even today we're having lunch and they're like, oh, we've missed you. We haven't seen you for a while. You know why? Because we don't just, we're not just coming with a message. We're messengers. Actually, the messenger is even more important than the message you carry because you are the message. You know the greatest thing that you possess? 
that a lot of people underrate, especially nowadays, and some of you girls need to work on this because we can be the worst culprits, is a smile. <laughs> the greatest gift you have is your smile. Like I'm telling you, you can change Salt Lake City with your smile. If you just walk in a place smiling, you're already the most important person, the most popular person in the room. Do you know that wait staff, people that work in stores are so used to being treated poorly. When someone treats them nicely, it's like, what is, am, am I dead? Have I gone to heaven? And sometimes you're gonna have to push through a little bit of residue from all the nastiness that they've had to deal with. Let me tell a story about you, baby. It's a good story. So when we're in, in San Diego, we, Jürgen and I are obsessed with Indian food. Love Indian food, love it. I mean, butter chicken, there ain't no shame in that game, just saying. And so we would go eat Indian food at our favorite Indian restaurant, Passage to India, once a week until we got quite large because you can't eat a lot of naans and rice and all those things and, and not become a little swole in the, all the wrong ways. <laughs> and so, but anyway, like Jürgen and I walk in and of course we're, we're not putting it on, we're not pretending, like we're just pumped. Like, oh my gosh, this, this food is amazing. Who are you got cooking back there? And, and the waiter is like, oh my goodness, well, it's, my, it's actually my father. And he goes and he gets his dad from the back and brings him out and having photos with Jürgen. Jürgen, like they're, they're obsessed with him. Like there's false gods lining the walls like an elephant with 7,000 arms and men's legs. And, but but they're, they're obsessed and they're attracted to, to the messenger of God because we carry the spirit of God. And the funny part of this story is um, we decided, you know what, we're getting a little bit swole. So we're going to lay off the Indian. So we didn't go for a month. I mean, naughty us. We're walking through our local shopping center, the Forest Commons in San Diego, and all of a sudden we hear these tires screech in this black BMW stops about five feet away from us. And lo and behold, this head pokes out the window and it's the waiter from Passage to India. And he yells out in the loudest voice, Passage to India, Passage to India, where have you been? We miss you. <laughs> like, just amazing. And I'm not saying that to brag, it's just us. Like, we can't help it. Like, we, when you've got Jesus in you, you've got to remind your face sometimes. You've got to remind the way that you speak because you're more than just a message. You're a messenger. You carry God with you wherever you go. I feel like Christians should be the best tippers. I do. Uh, like, oh, Walmart today. That's true. We went to Walmart today and we, we were checking out. And... Um, the lady who was checking us out, I'm trying to think of her name. I, I can't remember, I'm sorry. She did have a name badge. I don't recall it right now. But she, we were just chatting away and Jürgen engaged with her and was just chatting, asking her how her day was. And she said, oh my gosh, I, my brain isn't fully switched on because I forgot to have my coffee before I got here. And so Jürgen's like, oh, well, well, I can fix that. What do you like? And she's like, oh, well, well, there's no coffee in Walmart. And then Colby's with us and she goes, well, there's iced coffee. I see them in the fridge and comes over with four bottles of different Starbucks iced coffees and puts them in front and goes, pick one. And Jürgen's like, pick one. We want to get you a coffee. We want to start your day out right. How easy is that? It was maybe a buck 80 and a smile and a conversation, but it, it changes someone's life. We're not just a message. We are messengers. Go where the people are. There's so much I want to say. Yeah. Oh, yeah. Well, Jonah was really the perfect person to go to them, wasn't he? Because he was disobedient and stubborn and rebellious. So, so God always sends the perfect messenger. Have you noticed that God will often align you with somebody who has a current version of what you used to have? Right? Isn't that true? Yes, an alignment with assignment. Thank you, Jürgen, preaching from the front row. 
Yeah. I, I just think it's, it's so powerful, and I, I will get into that more, but this, this story is so prevalent for right now because there's such division in America, and, and, there is, and part of this division is, is right. There needs to be a division. Sheep and goats, wheat and tares, like, I get it. Like, Jesus himself said, I did not come to bring peace but a sword. But there's actually a division and an energy, I think, between some people and other people that it's not meant to be between. We've got to be very careful that we don't beat up and judge the very people that God has sent us to be messengers to. Be very careful. You've got to discern that well. And I say this, I say this to our crew in San Diego because we've got, we've got like the uh, the Avengers down there. We got like the, uh, you got to fight in Cali, trust me. It's like the underbelly of the beast. But, but I will say this, there have been times where it's been a little bit over the top. I'm like, you guys, my gosh, just be careful. You don't beat up the people that you called to be ministering to. They are your assignment. Remember, you don't just have a message, but you are a messenger handpicked by God and God handpicked you for a reason because you've got a testimony that's going to help them, not condemn them. All right? Point number three. Jonah chapter three, starting in verse four. We're kind of going to get through the whole book. How are we going? All right. Jonah began by going a day's journey into the city and proclaiming, 40 more days and Nineveh will be overthrown. And then, miracle, the Ninevites believed God. This is, like, this is unbelievable. Wicked, corrupt, perverse Assyrians that killed people for a living. We now know it as Iraq. They have backslid just a little, just saying. But Nineveh in that day was even worse than current day Iraq. And yet, a man of God turns up with a message and the Ninevites believe God. A fast was proclaimed. Let me just stop for a second then what does that tell us about what God can do here? In Salt Lake City. Oh, it's a Mormon stronghold, says who? Because when I read my Bible in the book of Jonah, it tells me that an entire nation can turn to God. And it may not be a worldly spirit as much as it is a religious spirit that you're fighting here, but trust me, when the people of God engage with their assignment, don't run from God and become the message, everything shifts. So there was revival from the greatest to the least they put on sackcloth. When Jonah's warning reached the king of Nineveh, he rose from his throne. This is powerful. The humility that we're seeing here. Took off his royal robes and covered himself with sackcloth. This is real transformation. And he sat down in the dust. And this is the proclamation that he issued to Nineveh. By the decree of the king and his nobles, Do not let people or animals, herds or flocks, taste anything. Do not let them eat or drink, but let people and animals be covered with sackcloth. Let everyone call urgently on God. Let them give up their evil ways and their violence. Who knows? So right here, the king doesn't even have a guarantee. But Jonah's message carried such an authority and so impacted them, they were willing to do whatever it took to make it right. Who knows, God may yet relent and with compassion turn from his fierce anger so that we will not perish. When God saw what they did and how they turned from their evil ways, he relented and he did not bring on them the destruction he had threatened. Here's the point I want to make here. Don't compromise the message. If we compromise the message, we compromise the outcome. So, so Jonah didn't come in and mince words. Yet 40 days and Nineveh will be overthrown. Now he turned up, he was the message, he was obedient, but he dropped it like it was hot. God said to him, forget not, give them the message that I have given you. We're in an era right now that wants to sugarcoat the message. Just let me tell you, if you're doing things right in your, in your flesh, if you're being the message and you're engaged and you get an opportunity, you don't need to sugarcoat what God has told you to say. You don't need to sugarcoat it. Can you imagine if Jonah went in there and he was woke? And he comes to Nineveh. 
smelling of fish guts, hair bleached like Pastor Jürgen's from the bale, the bile of the belly. I had to throw you under the bus one time. And he's like, Ninevites, I've traveled 500 miles, went through a storm, got swallowed up by a whale only to be vomited out to get here and tell you everything's fine. I'm just here to be a shoulder to cry on. I just want to be your non-judgmental friend. Because, because, you know, like God understands your backstory and why you do the things you do. And repentance is outdated. You don't need it. There's no, it's not sin. It's just preference. Can you imagine if he changed the message? Trust me. We would not have seen the same outcome. Can I, can, can I say to you today, we've got to carry the Lord's spirit as his messengers, but we don't get to change the flippant message. We don't get to change the message. The message is what the message is. And let me add a caveat to that. You don't need to bring the truth and be mean. A lot of believers have taken that scripture in the book of Ephesians. In the day of evil, stand therefore against the devil. Right? But they, they're standing and they look like the devil. They're, they're mean. They're mean. Can I just say this to you today? The truth doesn't need your mockery, your addition of shame, condemnation, your addition of anger or judgment. The truth is enough. Augustine said this. He said, the truth. Come on, Leanne. Yeah, I thought it was Augustine. Augustine or C.S. Lewis. Someone awesome once said. (laughs) The truth is like a lion. Here we go. The truth is like a lion. Let it out and it will defend itself. You don't need to add the spirit of the Pharisee to the truth or even all the spirit of the world. And what did Jesus say? He said, beware of the leaven of the Pharisee and the leaven of Herod, the, the, the leaven of the religious judgmental zealot and the leaven of the worldly who want to change the truth. The truth is enough. And we live in a generation that has tried to liberate people without the truth. It's impossible. Jesus said, you shall know the truth and the truth shall set you free. Paul said, when he was speaking to the Roman church, he said, is the law sinful? Certainly not. Had it not been for the law, I would not know I was a sinner. And we're in a culture right now that wants to remove the law, wants to remove holiness and just take all that out of the the equation. But it's that, that very thing that reveals to us we are in need of a savior. I can't fix it, but Jesus, you can. But if we teach a congregation, if we teach a people, a community, a world that nothing is sinful, then what do we need a savior for? Why did God have to send Jesus? We're not allowed to compromise the message. Amen, Leanne. And I will drink to that. And I'll add this to it. This is an important point too. Jonah says, yet 40 days. There's a time frame. There was a time frame for Nineveh. There's a time frame for planet Earth. And truth be told, we actually don't even know if we have 40 days. Maybe tonight as the clouds gather over Salt Lake City, they're getting ready for the arrival of our coming king. And the sky will split and the trumpet will sound and... Jesus is coming back to get his kids. That should sober us all up. There's an urgency because our message comes with a time frame. We don't get to compromise the message. I'm going to ask the band to come as we close this down. I mean, how amazing though. The whole whole city is saved and you would think, okay, let's end it. Chapter three, end it, done. Nice little bow, beautiful story, and they lived happily ever after. But just like I started by saying God sees everybody and somebody all the same time, God now takes the focus of Nineveh and puts it squarely on his son, his servant, his prophet, his messenger, Jonah. See, because obedience is is awesome, but God just doesn't want your obedience. He wants your heart.
and it, and it was really clear, and I'm going to read, read this, this last passage of Scripture. Jonah was obedient, but he was reluctantly so, and his heart wasn't in it. Just, just take a look at this. Jonah chapter 4. So the whole city's saved, right? And Jonah is spitting chips, as we would say in Australia. He is ticked off. He's angry at God. He thought he was going to smite them. I wanted to see the smiting, Lord, because I hate them. I hate them so much. They've been so mean to us, so mean to our people. God, why didn't you just kill them, kill them all? It displeased Jonah exceedingly, the Bible says, and he became angry because God wasn't as judgmental as he was. So he prayed to the Lord and said, Ah, Lord, I mean, look, he's got some... He's got some testicular fortitude. I'm just telling you. I mean, he's praying this prayer. Always a lady. Our Lord, was this not what I said when I was still in my country? So we, we, we see here the reason he didn't want to go. He had hate in his heart. Therefore, I fled previously to Tarshish, for I know that you're a gracious and merciful God slow to anger and abundant in loving kindness. He knows all this about God and he doesn't want other people to experience it. One who relents from doing harm. Therefore now, O Lord, please take my life from me. There it is again. For it is better for me to die than to live. Then the Lord said, is it right for you to be angry? Isn't God like the best conversationalist? He he doesn't just come down and bam. He asked him a question. This is how Pastor Jürgen and I have stayed married for 30 days. 30 years. Sorry. I, we ask each other questions. Is it right for you to be angry? That's true. So Jonah went out of the city and sat on the east side of the city. So he's sitting. He's wait. He's getting his lawn chair. He's, he's getting his Pharisee turban. He's sitting up there and he's waiting for the infidels to be struck. There he made himself a shelter and sat under its shade to see what would become of the city. You're in a sorry state. Your heart's pretty cold. If you're sitting back and you're watching, hoping that God will smite people. And the Lord God, again, so beautiful, prepared a plant and made it come up over Jonah. He he created his own illustrative sermon for one man, that it might be shade for his head to deliver him from his misery. So Jonah was grateful for the plant. But as morning dawned the next day, God prepared a worm and it so damaged the plant that it withered. And it happened that when the sun rose, God prepared a vehement east wind and the sun beat on Jonah's head so that he grew faint. Then he wished death for himself again and said, it is better for me to die than to live. Then God said to Jonah, is it right for you to be angry about the plant? And he said, it is right for me to be angry, even to death. But the Lord said, you have had pity on a plant? something of minuscule value. You've been piping off about climate change for which you have not labored nor made it grow, which came up in a night and perished in a night. Should I not pity Nineveh? Should I not pity Salt Lake City? That great city in which are more than 120,000 plus persons who are confused who cannot discern between their right hand and their left and much livestock. God isn't just happy to have, this is so beautiful, I want you to capture this. There are some religious cults and sects, God sects, you know what I mean, right? That, that like it's all about just be obedient. But God, yes, of course, I want your obedience. But more than that, I want your heart. Yes, a whole city was saved, but Jonah, look at your heart. You are messed up. You, you're full of hate. And the worst part of it is you can't, you, the irony is I sent you to a people that you have so much in common with. It was 40 days ago, you were in rebellion. You were in disobedience. You were stubborn. You were running away from me. And you have the audacity 
to want judgment to fall on the same people for the same thing that I showed you mercy for? It's the question we should all ask and it's one that we really need to ponder as the church of Jesus Christ in this hour. As, and listen, we got we got to listen. The Bible tells us um, that we are to expose the evil works of darkness. We're to do that. But we've not got to f- confuse the evil works of darkness with the people who are in bondage to them, who don't know their right from their left, who are the collateral damage of a church that was asleep. And so we got a storm. And so now we're not going to wake up and start pointing fingers of judgment, but instead become a messenger of God and understand point four, never forget what God saved you from. Jonah still smells of fish guts. His hair bleached white from the bile of the belly and he has the audacity to point and judge a people that were guilty of the very thing that he got forgiven from 40 days earlier. It's messed up. It's, it's broken. Something's wrong with your heart, Jonah. There's a reason that Jesus had a conversation with some of his disciples, not just anyone, his closest, his crew, his squad. In the book of Luke, a couple of his disciples start piping off and saying, Master, should we call down fire from heaven and smite your enemies? And Jesus has to turn to them and go, guys, oh my God, you do not know what spirit you are of. And I want you to hear that today. There's people here and you've got a message. God's anointed you to be a message bringer, but remember what spirit you're of. Jesus said, the Son of Man did not come to destroy men's lives, but to save them. In all our freedom fighting, in all our righteous, and I'm saying it's righteous, standing up and being the voice of truth and lighting a pathway in this dark world, Never forget what spirit you're of. So I want to have, I want to have an altar call. I'd love it if everybody could stand to their feet. And it's not going to be probably everybody's favorite altar call, but it's it's going to be one that's going to reposition us to become the messengers of a city who doesn't know their right hand from their left. And Jesus put it this way in in Judges chapter 7. He said, why are you so obsessed with the sin, the rebellion in your brother's eye when that was you 40 days ago? Have you lost all sense of self-awareness and understanding of what you were saved from and where you come from? He said, why do you ignore the beam in your own eye and fixate and become obsessed with the speck in the eye of your brother, first remove the beam and then you will see clearly to deal with the speck in the eye of your brother. Now, there are many church movements that would say wrongly, because you have a beam, you can't, like nobody's allowed to say anything to anyone because it's just judging. No, that's not what Jesus says. He says, let's remove the beam because actually we do, we're meant to pull out those splinters. But you know what happens when you acknowledge you have a beam and you let the Lord pull it out or you let good pastors show you 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 actually have a beam. You're hitting people with that thing. It's like like Yosemite up in there, right? You know what happens? You, You have a perspective. So when you look at your brother with a splinter, you're like, oh my gosh, I know what that feels like. And it sucks. I remember I had what you had the worst. I had a beam once and I see a little bit of what I had in me, in you, and I want to help you. See how it shifts? We're still taking out the splinter, but a change, your heart motivation is not judgment, but compassion. I don't want you, just want your obedience. I want your heart. I want your heart. So if you're here today and you're like, oh my gosh, that is the word I needed. Even if you've just been confused, how do I deal with it? The world's dark, it's broken, people are crazy. Like, God, how do I approach this? That's how you approach it. Remember what you were saved from. You once had a beam or maybe you still have a beam and then it will give you compassion to see clearly and then help your brother. That's what we're called to do. You know what the church's job is? 
we're helpers. We're called to help. We're called to carry the message of God and help people. And that's how we save a city. Can Salt Lake City be saved? All the men, the women, the children, even the cows, which I'm obsessed with in Midway. Well, the Bible tells me, yes. So if today you needed to hear that, and that's a word for you, run to the front and let's stand on the altar and just, just pray the prayer that King David prayed. Oh, Lord, created me a clean heart. In the book of Ezekiel, and just keep coming. I feel like this is our belly of a whale altar call. The prophet Ezekiel said to the Israelites when they were backslidden and hard in their hearts and they'd lost all perspective and self-awareness and they were going down roads that they shouldn't be going down. He said, speaking on behalf of the Lord, I will give you a new heart and I will put my spirit in you, a new spirit. I will remove your heart of stone and I will give you a heart of flesh. What interesting vernacular a heart of flesh, a heart that understands and can relate to other humans, to other flesh. Our our world needs revival, but it's not going to come on the back of Pharisees who are standing in an ivory tower of judgment. It's not going to come off the back of the disengaged who aren't where the people are, who, who are afraid of getting dirty. It's not going to come from the people who are asleep in the midst of a storm and want to kick the can down the road. It's going to come from a church that is fully awake, aware of where they've come from, that have the understanding to say there, but for the grace of God go I. Father, how can I be a help? Lift your hands to the Lord. Father, I thank you right now for this incredible church. Father, I prophesy and declare that Salt Lake City is a city for Christ. We come against every religious spirit, every pharisaical spirit that has been allowed to flourish in this city and we curse you in Jesus' name. Father, I thank you right now. You are sending messengers, messages from messengers from heaven and messengers from planet earth to this city that they would carry the message of heaven. God, we are not gonna compromise the truth, but when we deliver the truth, we're gonna be up close and personal and we're gonna help them walk it through. Father, because we are aware that once we had a beam and now we'll, we want to see clearly to help remove the speck from the eye of our brother. Father, I thank you right now. You are moving in this church. Father, you would take away the heart of stone and replace it with a heart of flesh, a heart that sees clearly. God, you don't want just our obedience. You want our heart. It's people with a changed heart that are going to change this city. Well, God, just like King David said, create in us a clean heart, O God, and renew a right spirit, a steadfast spirit within us. Restore unto us the joy of our salvation. Thank you, Father. Thank you for this church. Thank you for this beautiful group of people and for the things that you're going to do. In Jesus' name, amen. 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 Wow. What an amazing word. I hope you enjoyed that as much as I did. Hey, listen, for more information about our church, go to www.awakenchurch.com or subscribe to our YouTube channel if you haven't already and download our app. It is amazing. It is chock full of incredible messages, information about upcoming events, and you can even support our ministry if you feel so inclined. We loved having you with us today. We look forward to seeing you again. God bless you. Live a life that is transformative. Bye for now.